Recorded by The Way in Brea. Lead pastor Von Jarrett has a heart for the people at The Way and a desire to reach the lost. The Way's production department prays this message is a blessing to you and that you find yourself closer to God through application. And we're going to be talking about prayer. Say prayer. prayer. So the title of the message this morning is The King's Prayer. The King's Prayer. So I thought about our church and our identity uh, when it comes to prayer. And I think that over the years we've become much more of a church that prays. A praying church. You know, a lot of churches um, um, are identified a certain way and have a certain culture, have a certain uh, thing that they do or that they do well or what they're known for. And I, I would love for our church to become more and more of a church that's known for prayer, a place where you can go and pray, a place where you can go and be prayed for, a place, a place where the focus is on connecting with God and not uh, primarily on anything else. So uh, every ministry here at The Way, we have what we call vision statements and vision documents. And some of you aren't aware of that, but it's, it's important to us because it helps us to understand what we're doing and why. Sometimes you can just go to church and you can forget, well, why do you go there? <laughs> or why do you do that? You know, why do you have a couple's night out? What's the point in that? Why do you do sidewalk sanctuary? Why do you guys have all these things going on? And, and some people will just say, well, that's just what we do and that's what we've always done. But I, I think it's important to have vision, to know why you're doing the things that you're doing. So in a... Uh, in line with the, the service on prayer this morning, the King's Prayer, I want to share with you guys what our vision is for prayer here at The Way. This is from, uh, from the ministry and from the, the vision document. It, it reads this. First question is, what is the vision for prayer at The Way? It says that prayer would be seen and experienced as the essential ingredient for all aspects of the Christian life. Prayer must be infused into the thoughts and decisions of every individual and the church as a whole. Prayer must permeate and saturate all that we do and teach at The Way. The vision for prayer at The Way is to create an atmosphere where this is the norm and expectation for everyone and where every individual becomes a prayer. We believe that prayer is primary for the church overall, not secondary or just a part of what we do. We see prayer as a significant means of encountering and communicating with God. We believe that prayer is essential for all ages of believers, and we will provide opportunities for each to engage in prayer. Prayer is God's main avenue for directing his church, and the church's main avenue for moving the heart of God. We believe that there is power in prayer, and we believe that prayer can bring healing. Amen? Amen. That's why we pray. <laughs> That's why we have services. Not just because we want to be able to say we do what Christians should do, which is pray. 
I think our prayer course, for those who have been through it, has become one of the great blessings in this church because we desire to help every individual learn how to pray and grow in their prayer life. Um, not just in the joint services. You know, Ray mentioned it earlier that we have praying with understanding where we come in and we can see what we're praying for and why we're praying and what the needs are and what's going on in the world that we live in. I think that even needs to grow. This morning I was reading um, about um, these Christians in Egypt on November 2nd, just a few days ago. There was uh, 19 of them, I believe, on a bus leaving from a baptism. You know how we just showed these pictures of baptism? They were leaving from a baptism and four SUVs pulled up on the bus and started shooting the bus, killed, I think it was a total of 19 people. The youngest was like a, an eight-year-old boy, 12-year-old girl. Um, all, the, all the husbands and fathers were shot in the head and the wives and mothers after their kids were dead were shot in the legs so that they had to stay there and see uh, the carnage but we can't pray. You know, prayer again, it's, it's primary. And when you belong to, like, like Veterans Day, like we said earlier, we're recognizing those who defend this country and this nation. But we've also been learning about the king and the cross, the kingdom of God. Those are part of our people, men and women of God, sons and daughters of the king that we need to be praying for. And it's happening all over. It's not just in these places. It's happening all over. So we have praying in the spirit where we come and we say, Lord, sometimes we don't know what to pray for. Isn't it interesting that you could come to a praying in the spirit service and you've never prayed for those people, but because you're praying in the spirit, your soul is praying for those people? It's amazing how God makes a provision for all these things for us. Recently, I spoke at a conference and I was asked to share uh, things that I would tell the younger version of myself when I was first starting off in ministry. They said, listen, we want you to share with, these, with this conference about if you could go back or if you could talk to yourself from today when you first started, let's say 10 years ago with the church, uh, what would you say to yourself? And one of the three things that I focused on was prayer. What prayer is, what prayer is not. I would have told myself how much more emphasis we should have put from day one on praying um, how much more focus and time should be associated with that? Even in our ministries and in our leading, how much time do you spend X's and O's versus time on your knees asking God to help and to lead? I told those folks that I thought it was interesting that prayer is the last ministry people pursue when it should be the first ministry that we pursue. When people are thinking, you know, should I, should I join the cleaning? Should I join uh, the worship team? Should I, should I join the children's church? Should, you know what? I want to be an evangelist. The last one that people are thinking about is, hey, when are you praying? When can I do something that's not focused on me and focused on God? When can I do something that's focused on others and ministering to their needs? When can we come when nobody else is here and be praying? It's really the last ministry that most Christians pursue when it should be the first. If we understood that we're connecting with God and connecting with each other. I think we would, uh, we would pursue it a lot more. So Jesus prayed alone. Jesus prayed with his disciples. And Jesus prayed for people. But this morning, as we look at the king's prayer, we're going to look at how he has encouraged us to pray. Amen? Amen. This is Matthew chapter 6, verse 5 through 14. Red letters in your Bible. Jesus is speaking. He says, And when you pray... You shall not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you that they have their reward, but you, when you pray, go into your room, 
And when you have shut the door, pray to your Father who is in the secret place, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. And when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Therefore, do not be like them, for your Father knows the things you have need of before you ask him. In this manner, therefore, pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for encouraging us and directing us in prayer, Lord God. We thank you that this morning we were gathered to pray. We thank you that we can even hear a testimony this morning of somebody who was struggling, Lord, somebody who was in need but found healing in a time of gathering, healing in a time of praying, Lord. Our desire is that we would encounter you here in this place this morning, continue to encounter you, God, but that we would be inspired and encouraged, Lord, to seek you when we leave from this place, to find you when we leave from this place, Lord, to have you to... Uh, meet with us on a daily basis and to meet our needs, to help us to overcome our, di our uh, difficulties, Lord God, but also to help us to celebrate our victories, Lord. We need you now more than ever, Lord. We need you in this season, Lord. We need you to open our eyes and our hearts to understand that what you're doing in your kingdom is larger than this city, the surrounding cities, this state, this nation, Lord. It's the whole world that belongs to you. It's the whole world that's in need of hearing your voice and hearing your word, Lord. We thank you in the name of Jesus. Amen. 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 All right. So the first thing I want to focus on is private prayer. Say private. private. So private prayer in verses 5 uh, and 6, it says, Jesus says, When you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you that they have their reward, but you, when you pray, go into your room, and when you have shut your door, pray to your Father who's in the secret place, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. There are some people who have to pray when everybody can hear them. There's some people who have to pray elaborate prayers, right? Like as if you're in a class and quoting every verse and quoting every scripture and, and letting you know that they know more about God and more about the Bible than you're ever going to know. I think Jesus initially in this portion of prayer or direction is warning us against that. We have to be careful, right? I mean, we came in today and we said that there was a bunch of people praying. We're starting service, and I'm leading us in a time of prayer. When we always ask you guys, pray with me. It's not like the Lord just wants to hear my voice, right? So is God telling us not to do those things? I don't think so. I think Jesus tells us in just a minute, he says, when you pray, pray our Father who art in heaven. In order to pray our Father who art in heaven, that means you got to be with some other people. Somebody say amen. <laughs> so he's not just saying, right? that you should never pray corporately or that you should never pray in a group because he encourages us to do that. He's saying, you know, you need to have a more intimate prayer life than you have a more corporate or public prayer life. If the only time you pray is when you come into church and I ask you to bow your heads and let's pray together or when you come to our prayer service, Jesus is saying, you're missing it. You should be praying every day by yourself and then occasionally you should be praying together with other people. Amen. Amen. Private prayer. 
The focus here is about spending more time praying alone than you do with others. I thought about sports for some reason. Maybe it's because of all these high schoolers. But when you watch these games, I don't think most people understand how much time private practice is taking place. You know, when you turn on the TV and you see the Lakers or you see so-and-so, you see your favorite football team or somebody catches a touchdown, somebody hits the game-winning home run, somebody hits the last-second shot, everyone's like, oh, that's a miracle, and it was so much luck. It's not luck. They've been practicing every day for their whole life. And even the great players, when the team is done practicing, they go and practice by themselves. So when you come into a community or when you, when you run across somebody who has a deep, intimate prayer life, most of us say, oh, what a miracle. Like, God blessed them with, with an ability to pray. No, he didn't. They've been practicing by themselves. They've been praying one-on-one. They've been reading the scriptures, and when they're done reading, they say, let me meditate upon this and think about this and actually talk to God about what his word says. Good. It's not a miracle. It's practice. It says that our Father sees and dwells in the secret place. The question I want to ask you this morning first is, what is your secret place? Because if it says that he dwells there, and it says that he sees exactly what's going on in the secret place, we should know what our secret place is. I love the church. I love being here. I've said it a lot of times that, you know, my office upstairs is a secret place for me. I meet with God a lot there. He knows I'm coming. He knows when I'm going to be there. I expect him to be there when I get there. My scriptures are there. My prayers are there. And it's a secret place for us where nobody else is around. But what about you? Where do you meet with him primarily? I hope that you meet with him here, but this cannot be your secret place. It ain't a secret. We're all here. (laughs) You need a place where it's like, you know you meet him. Maybe it's for 10 minutes in the morning. Maybe it's in the shower. Maybe it's in the car. That's one of my other secret places. I drive a lot back and forth to work, and God knows it's just going to be me and him. So we meet there. But you don't waste that time. You take advantage of that time if that's your secret place. So Jesus here, when he first starts this, he says, I want to talk to you about private prayer. It doesn't have to be in the church. It doesn't have to be in a, in a special setting. The only part that makes it special is the fact that it's just you and him there. Amen. So if someone were to ask you, hopefully after service you'll know for sure, but if someone were to ask you yesterday, hey, what's your secret place? Where do you meet most often with God? How many of us would not have an answer? How many of us would not be able to, to describe what it feels like? How often you're there? What time is it that you meet with him? I think private prayer is so important. The second thing I want to talk about that, uh, that I believe Jesus is telling us here is to pay attention in prayer. Pay attention in prayer. Verse 7, he says, When you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think they'll be heard for their many words. Therefore, do not be like them. For your Father knows the things you need of, or knows the things you have need of before you ask him. He says, don't pray with vain or worthless repetitions, thinking that you're going to be heard just because of how often you pray or how many times you can recite certain words. He's saying, listen, it's not about did you pray 37 times this month and did you say this particular prayer enough times for me to hear you? I think the funniest part about This is that the model for prayer that Jesus gives us is the most vainly repeated prayer in all of Christianity. He first says, that's what I'm telling you, pay attention. The first thing he says is, don't just repeat words when you pray. 
And then he gives us what we call the Lord's Prayer, and that's what we repeat. <laughs> he just said, don't do that. That's vain and that's worthless. All you're doing is saying words that have no power. We think it has power because we say, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. If you say it a hundred times, then God's just going to move in your life. He's saying, I just told you that that's not going to work. Pay attention in prayer. When you're reading the scriptures, pay attention. We have to apply it into our lives. Everything that the Lord says, you have to apply into your life. But definitely in the area of prayer, he just told us, pay attention. Don't just say these words. There's no power in these words. There's no power in repetition. There's no power in just reciting something that you've remembered. Imagine if Monday morning, everybody's family got up, got ready for work, got ready for school. Everybody meets in the living room. You've got the spouses. You've got the kids. You've got the whole family there. And then we all just start reciting. I love you. 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 I love you for two minutes. And then when you're done, everybody looks at each other and says, that should do for the week. Because I told you I love you. And I meant it when I said it. And you said it back to me, and now we can just go live our lives. That's what it's like when you pray prayers like this. Our Father who art in heaven. Or when you say the rosary. Or when you count these beads. What does that have to do with being in an intimate, loving relationship? And Jesus is trying to tell us that many faiths and many religions and many religious people live their life that way. Just trying to say enough, enough times in the right way. And thinking that that's going to have uh, an effect on the heart of God. Whether you did it all on Monday for the week or whether you woke up every day and said it to start your day, it's still not enough. It's about being in a real relationship. Many of us <clears throat> have prayers like that. And if it's not, I love you, I love you, I love you, it's I need this, 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 I want this, I want this, I want this, I want this. And Jesus is like, is that what I told you? <laughs> is that how we're supposed to pray? Is that what you think this relationship is supposed to be like? In verse 7, he warns us again. He says, your father knows the things you have need of before you ask him. We don't have to keep asking. We don't have to keep begging. So if we're paying attention, I think we realize prayer needs to be often. Prayer needs to be private and personal. Uh, and it shouldn't be heavy on the... Uh, asking for stuff all the time. God knows what we need. Number three is that this is a model for prayer. It's not an MP3. It's not something that you just press play on and say, okay, this is what I need to remember. This is what I need to recite. It's a model. It's a blueprint. It's some direction that Jesus is trying to give us. He's saying, I'm going to tell you how to pray. He's not saying, I'm going to give you something to record and recite. So listen to what he says. Instead of looking at it as something that he just wants you to memorize, think about what he's actually saying here in verse 9 through 13. In this manner, therefore, pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Before we even break it down, what I want to say is that we shouldn't even call it the Lord's Prayer because he doesn't have to pray any of these things. It should be the disciples' prayer, if anything. Right? 
Is he praying for forgiveness and bread and all that kind of stuff? He has all those things. So I think this prayer is broken down into to three areas, three segments, and they're models, not memorization. The first is worship. Say worship. worship. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. The reason we start every service with worship and we don't spend a lot of time doing anything else besides worshiping God, not putting the attention on us and being heard and being seen, but saying we want to worship you, God, is because that's the model that Jesus gives us. We are here to worship him. Your prayer life should start with worship. Yes. If you sit down to pray at home, if you go into the, that room or that closet, if you get into that car and you don't have a moment of exalting God and worshiping God, you missed it. That's how you start prayer is by positioning yourself under God. You say, oh, man, you hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come here. You're so far above us. You're so far beyond us. You're so amazing. That positions you where you need to be to be able to talk to God. You don't just approach God like he's the homie, Amen. like he's your friend, like, like you were, he should have just been waiting there for you to come and talk to him because you're so much more important. No, you, you lift him up, you honor him, you give him reverence. Worship aligns our hearts and lives with God by positioning us under him. Hopefully we feel that. The, the hard part about worship in, in, in our day and age is that it feels so good to us. Like we love the music and we love the feel and we love the atmosphere and you're feeling the drums and it's like, man, God, you, you're just making me feel so good. But really it should be uh, about him. It should make us feel a little bit small when we worship God. Yes. He deserves worship. <clears throat> the second thing or the second segment of, of this prayer model that Jesus gives us is about repentance. He says in verse 12, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. I think a good time of worship, of exalting God, we, like I said about feeling small, we should be like, man, I can't believe this God is my God. And I can't believe as jacked up as I am, he still loves me. Matter of fact, I want to just repent of what I've done and what I've thought. Maybe it's been since Wednesday. Maybe it's been since last Sunday. Maybe it's been since this morning. But Jesus is telling us, here's the model. First, recognize God for who he is. And then second, repent. How many of you could say that that's your prayer life? You just lift up God for being God. And then you apologize and repent and ask for forgiveness for being you. The last part is when the requests come in. At the end of, of that, for however long it takes, in verse 13, he says, pray, do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. I think finally we begin to ask for what we want and we need. Because even though we know we don't deserve it, because we've been worshiping God for being the God of everything and all creation, and then we've repented, hopefully if you're doing this often enough, you know that he's still just a good father who loves you and is going to give you stuff anyway. Isn't that the best? When you can just look at your dad like you're in that prayer life and you're just saying, okay, now just give me what I want. Ultimately what he's saying here is don't give me what I could have and what I don't want and, and don't really need. Give me what I do want, right? Don't lead me into temptation, Right? But deliver me. Don't give me what I deserve. Give me something better. This morning, my, uh, my two oldest 
took off. They're going to a football game. And then Niall started crying, started flipping out because he was getting left behind. Right? And then I said, Niall, it's just going to be me and you today after church. We're going to have some lunch with some people. And then it's just going to be us. I'm going to give you whatever you want. I'm going to take you to see the Grinch. And he was crying, but then he started smiling. <laughs> because he, he knew kind of like this scripture, like, look, I don't really deserve it because I'm throwing a fit, but my daddy's going to give me whatever I want anyway. And then you know what he did after that? Because we were here early for prayer. He never does this, but he followed me all around the church. I came in here early to pray over here. He stayed with me. I went up into my office. He came in my office, started flipping through my books and stuff. Just he wouldn't leave me. Why? Because there's something about knowing that you have a father who's just going to give you stuff, who's just going to bless you. Jesus wants to take you to see the Grinch. That's what I'm trying to tell you this morning. <laughs> Look at verse 13, though. It says, do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. After you've worshipped him like crazy, after you've repented for all this stuff, you don't just say, man, I'm just lucky to be in your presence. You say, now give me some stuff, Lord. Now start pouring out all those things that you have. You're rich, Dad. How many of us go straight to that and there's no worship and no repentance. See? Message. <laughs> Verse 13 says, Daddy, please don't do this, but instead do that for me, because you're such a good daddy. Listen to Matthew 7:13. It says, If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? He's saying, You're not even great parents, and you're selfish, and you're evil, and you still want to bless your kids. How much do you think I want to bless my kids? So I want to close and give us some time. I really want to pray this morning together. I want to have a good time of communion and, and actually pray and be prayed for by our, our prayer team. But first, I want to talk about three types of prayer that I think are important. If you're taking notes, I think these would be good for you to write down, good to remember and think about in your prayer life. The first are prayers of desperation. How many of you can identify with, with praying desperate prayers at some point in your life? A few of us, huh? Amen. This is 1 Samuel chapter 30, verse 1. It says, It happened when David and his men came to Ziklag on the third day that the Amalekites had invaded the south and Ziklag, attacked them, and burned it with fire. And they had taken captive the women and those who were there, from small to great, and they did not kill anyone, but carried them away and went their way. So David and his men came to the city, and there it was, burned with fire, and their wives, their sons, their daughters had been taken captive. Then David and the people who were with him lifted up their voices, and they wept until they had no more power to weep. David's wives, Ahinoam and Jezreelites, and Abigail, the widow of Nabal, the Carmelite, had been taken captive. Now David was greatly distressed, for the people spoke of stoning him, because the soul of all the people was grieved. Every man for his sons and his daughters. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. Then David said to, to Abiathar the priest, Amalek's son, Please bring me the ephod here. 
And Abiathar brought the ephod to David. So David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I pursue this troop, and shall I overtake them? David is in a time of desperation. He's the king. Everybody's been taken captive, right? Wives, children, everything that you've built. And even his own friends, family, and other men, the other soldiers are looking at him like, we're going to kill you. This is as desperate as it gets. And what does he do? He says, I got to pray. He strengthens himself. He remembers who God has been in his life. And then he says, uh, bring me the ephod. Those of you who are here in our study of Exodus, we know what it is, right? It's this, this vest that the priests wear, right? And then they go into, into the tabernacle to pray. And David goes in. He says, God, you got to help me. What do I do here? Do I just stay here and wait and see what happens? Do I let them kill me? Will you bring the people back? Should I pursue them? Looking for direction from God in a time of desperation. I think we've all been in, in moments, maybe not this bad, but moments of desperation where we cry out to God in a special way. It doesn't feel good, but in hindsight, um, you know when you've really cried out to God that way. I remember holding Nile in my hands, lifeless. I've never cried out to God like that before. Got wrapped in the blankets, couldn't breathe, was completely pale with his eyes rolled back in his head and he's in my hands and I'm crying out to God, God, you gotta do something. That's not, Lord, please bless this food. Lord, I, I really want this to happen. Can you make that happen for me? Lord, we, we have outreach today and we just, we just hope that you would really open somebody's heart and open somebody's mind. All good prayers. But there's something different about this kid is dying in my hands. You have to do something, God. That's the kind of prayers that David is having. Prayers of desperation. Recently, I was in a situation where uh, I hadn't felt this way since I had just got saved. The first couple months of being saved, I used to be anxious and scared all the time. I couldn't trust anybody. I didn't trust myself. And I remember just feeling like my world was constantly falling apart. And within the last month and a half, after 14 years now it's been, I had those feelings again of like fear, anxiety, overwhelmed, uncertainty, danger. And I remember crying out in desperation to God, like, God, you have to meet me right now. Like, you have to help me right now before I do something crazy. (laughs) So whether the situation warrants it or not, I'm not sure that this last one warranted it, but hey, I was there and I was crying out in desperation. I know that the situation with my son warranted and I was crying out in desperation. How many of you, if you really think about it, are the majority of your times of prayer only because you're in desperate need? If you ask yourself, how often do I pray and and when do I really press in and when do I connect with God? Would you say this morning that, that mostly it's just times of desperation when you really, really, really need something to happen? One type of prayer. Second type of prayer is prayers of desire. Prayers of desire. This is about Hannah. 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 8 says, Elkanah, Hannah's husband, said to her, Why do you weep? Why do you not eat? Why is your heart grieved? Am I not better to you than ten sons? So Hannah arose after they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh, and Eli the priest was sitting on the seat by the doorpost of the tabernacle of the Lord. 
And she was in bitterness of soul. And she prayed to the Lord and wept in anguish. And she made a vow and said, Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your maidservant and remember me and not forget your maidservant, but will give your maidservant a male child, I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life. No razor shall come upon his head. And it happened as she continued praying before the Lord that Eli watched her mouth. Now Hannah spoke in her heart, only her lips moved. But her voice was not heard. Therefore, Eli thought that she was drunk. So Eli said to her, how long will you be drunk? Put your wine away from you. And Hannah answered and said, no, my Lord, I am a woman of sorrowful spirit. I've drunk neither wine nor intoxicating drink, but I have poured out my soul before the Lord. That's some good prayer time. Amen. <laughs> she has a need. She has a desire. Right. The other women in the city are hating on her because they all have kids and she doesn't. And she's like, God, you got to give me a child, not just a child. I want a male child. She's praying to the point where she's weeping. Her husband doesn't understand what she's going through. The church doesn't understand. The priest is like, man, why are you still drinking? You should be praying. You should be seeking God and honoring God. She's like, listen, my heart is broken. The reason why you see my mouth moving is because my heart is being poured out to my father. Does anybody pray like that? I remember being at one of the praying in the spirit services and watching Miss Peach as our prayer ministry leader over here on the ground, laid out. Reminded me of Hannah. She ain't really worried about what everybody else is doing. Amen. Prayers of desire, because you just want something. <clears throat> Recently, I had a, a job offer with a little less responsibility and a little bit more money, sounds like a good deal, amen? <laughs> Interestingly enough though, I felt myself not praying about it. And instead I was making decisions that like, I was purposely not praying, I'm gonna testify, share a little bit. <laughs> you, Cause you all do it too, don't act like I'm the only one. I was like, if I pray, God might say something I don't want to hear. So instead, I'm going to not pray and just do stuff. And then once the ball is rolling, like I did this and now I'm here. So now that I'm here, I can pray. Now, Lord, that we're here, just make it all fall into place now. <laughs> Why? Because of desire. What I wanted to happen. I have brothers that I talk to them all the time. And we pray together. We talk about each other's lives and what we're going through, and then we pray together. Definitely over good things, like let's honor God for that, but especially when it's hard and we're going through rough times and we're going through bad times, we ask each other, hey, I need you to literally pray for me. You know what I did this time? I didn't tell him about it. <laughs> My wife, she's like, oh, she's a prayer warrior, and we are always trying to be connected in our prayer lives. Same thing. I didn't ask her to pray about the job. I said, here's what's happening. Pray for what I want to happen to happen. <laughs> God listens to her. I didn't say pray if we should do it or not. I said, listen, here's where I'm at. Here's what I've done. Here's what I want to happen. I need you to talk to God and make sure that it happens. <laughs> See, I know how desires work. You guys know how desires work. But here's where the rubber meets the road. The end of the process had come. And, uh, and this was recently. Matter of fact, it was the same time where I was preaching at this conference on prayer. <laughs> and Mary, we're having lunch, and she comes to me and she says, listen, I, I heard from God. 
And she said, I don't really want to tell you. I had no idea what she was talking about at all. We weren't even talking about this work situation. But she said, I heard from God and I don't really want to tell you. I said, come on, babe, we're Christians. <laughs> tell me anything, especially if you heard from God. She was like, God said you, don't, you shouldn't take that job. I was like, get me behind me, Satan. <laughs> no, I didn't say that. I didn't say that, but she told me, she said, God said you shouldn't take that job. I was like, seriously? Did you not understand what I had told you when I asked you what to pray for? <laughs> she said, she said, God told me, and then she gave me a couple of specific examples of things that she had seen, things that she had heard, and what, what God was saying to her, right? And at this moment, I knew that I wasn't really praying, you know? So she told me, she said, but listen, you're still the man of this house. You're still the leader of this family. If you feel like you're hearing something different from God, then you need to hear from God. I said, listen, I know that I'm the man of God. I know that I'm the head of this family, but to be honest with you, I trust you. Like, I know, I know you're hearing from God. You wouldn't tell me this if you weren't hearing from God. And I was trying not to tell her that I hadn't really been praying, but I'm just like, I'm just going to go with what you're saying, babe. <laughs> right? And then the very next day, the same men that I told you that I usually engage with and we talk about life and we talk about prayer, right? I go to them because now, like, Mary's already made a decision for me. I'm like, hey, guys, you know, this situation with work, and here's what's going to happen. And one of my brothers told me, he said, listen, I had a dream about you last night. I said, are you serious? He said, yeah. I said, well, what was the dream? He said, he said I saw construction people. That's what I do. I do construction safety. And, and I felt God say, don't leave your team. I was like, dude, I could have used that yesterday. Like... <laughs> Like, why would you wait till the day? Like, you should wake up immediately and call me and tell me that. He's like, I didn't really know if it was you or not, but I felt like it was you. And I was like, dang, God. My wife and my brothers, you know what I mean? Like, they're telling me the right thing to do. Here's one of the best parts about prayer. I knew I wasn't praying, but I'm so grateful that I'm in community with people who are. How many of us can find ourselves in dangerous places because, number one, we're not praying, and number two, we don't value the prayers of others? Somebody will come to you and tell you something, somebody that you trust, not just anybody off the streets or somebody that doesn't really care about you, but these are people that care about me. I was like, Lord, thank you that I wasn't praying and you knew it and you decided to talk to those who love me and at least give me the wisdom to say, I'm going to do what I know I should do here. I think it was Wednesday or, or Sunday, I talked about closing the door and it was right after that that I, I did what I told you guys I did. Got on my phone and I had already signed <laughs> for the job I had already gone and got drug testing done. Everything was already done. And then I had to eat humble pie and be like, God told my wife I can't have this job. <laughs> but it's so much better than being outside the will of God. Amen. But prayer is just a 845 to 945 service we don't want to show up to. But praying in the spirit is just something that's a little bit too awkward for us to want to participate in. Man, we don't get it. <laughs> it changes our lives. It changes our destiny. It changes the, the trajectory of your church, changes the trajectory of your family. It's crazy. So prayers of desperation, prayers of desire, right? 
These are good things. We should have these types of prayers. The last one I want to talk about, I think, is the most important. Right? Desperation, desire, and the last one is default prayers. Default. Default is uh, like when you buy a phone, it's in default mode. Whenever you buy something, it's like, this is how it comes. This is just normal. So after you do all this stuff and you break everything, the phone will ask you, do you want to go back to default mode? <laughs> right? Last type of prayer, this default mode, is about understanding that prayer is just about communing with God. It's not about desperation. It's not about desire. The whole point of prayer is just to connect with God. That should be the default mode is, why are you going to prayer? Because I want to talk to God. Why are you going into your car or into your office or into your room or into the closet and closing the door? It's not because I'm in desperate need. It's not because I have a desire I want him to meet. It's just because I want to meet with him. Default mode of prayer should just be about, man, I have the honor and privilege to connect with God. And I don't think most people value that. I don't think most people understand that. Coming to God without an agenda, just desiring to be with him. Think about that for a second. I'm a parent, like I said before, and I think it's unnatural. Most of the time when our kids come to us, they want something. Me and Mary constantly, especially Naomi, like, they get in the car, like after school, whatever it is. Mom, can we go here? Mom, can we, Dad, can we get this? Can we have that? Are we going to church today? Is the ice cream man coming? Can I have a dollar? Can I have this? Like constantly asking for something. It happens once in a while. You know the feeling you get, though, when, like, when one of your kids comes to you and they just sit with you and hug you? Right? Like there's nothing like that. And those are usually the moments where you're just like, no, it's not even, it's not even that. I feel like. I just want to give you something. You didn't even ask me right now. I want to just give you something because you just want to be with me. Imagine if we came to God like that more often than we come asking for stuff. I just want to be with you. I just want to hear you. I just want to feel you. I just want to hold your hand. I just want to hug. I just want to hug you. Romans chapter 7 verse 1 says, Do you not know... Brethren, for I speak to those who know the law, that the law has dominion over a man as long as he lives. For the woman who has a husband is bound by the law to her husband as long as he lives. But if the husband dies, she's released from the law of her husband. So then if while her husband lives, she marries another man, she'll be called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she's free from that law so that she is no adulteress, though she has married another man. Therefore, my brethren, you also have become dead to the law through the body of Christ, that you may be married to another, to him who has raised from the dead, who was raised from the dead, that we should bear fruit to God. So why is that important when we're talking about prayer? Many people, when, it, when you look at the law and you ask, well, why am I praying? It's because it's a duty that I have to do. Why am I repenting? Because I've just lived this life of sin, so on and so forth. But this idea of marriage, what it's saying is if you're married to the law, if you're married to that type of religion, you have to stay married to that type of religion. Like a woman who has a bad husband, you shouldn't have married him. You made a commitment. Stay in that relationship until it works out or until you die and go to heaven. People don't like to hear that. <laughs> but what the scripture is saying is, but if that person were to die... <laughs> 
then you're free. You can go marry somebody else if you want to. The idea is this. If you come to church or if you approach prayer in this legalistic law type way where you have to do certain things, you have to come a certain way, there's a certain uh, rosary you have to hold, there's a certain prayer that you need to repeat, he's saying, man, that's a terrible husband that's, that's ruling over you in your life, in your Christianity. He's saying, but if that husband dies and you enter into a relationship where you are in love with Jesus and you're married to him, where he walks you into the church and he says, look, I don't care what you're wearing. I don't care how you say it. Let's just go talk to dad. He says that old way has died and you should be excited to be married to Christ and come into a relationship or prayer like that. You shouldn't be burdened when I get up here or Ray gets up here or somebody gets up and says, nah, we're having prayer, let's go. That shouldn't be something that depresses you. That shouldn't be something that says, man, I haven't prayed. Enough. No, come on. You've been married to Christ now. You can pray with freedom. Last scripture, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 9 says, There remains therefore a rest for the people of God. For he who has entered his rest has himself also ceased from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest, lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience. For the word of God is living and powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It's piercing even to the division of the soul and spirit, of joints and marrow. It's a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. I'm not done with this scripture. I just want to hopefully paint this picture of God saying these scriptures, when you read them, they, they open you up and they cut to the heart and it's, it's just, it's real and it's in your face. And it says that you're just laid naked before God. Yeah. That's prayer, right? That, that's communion. You're, you're with God. You're fully exposed. He sees everything about you and you're reading your own stuff. Then it says, but seeing then that we have a great high priest who passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. And then here it is, verse 16. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. He's saying it would be easy when you're exposed and you're naked and you're broken and, and you're reading your own business and it's just right in your face. It'd be easy to shy away. But he's saying, man, you have a good husband who's here to protect you, who's here to love you. And he's not bringing you to church and he's not bringing you to the altar to be condemned. He's saying, man, you can come boldly to a throne of grace where you can obtain mercy. Let's go meet with our father. Let's go meet with the one who loves us. And all he's going to say is mercy. Grace, I love you. I'm going to bless you. Worship team, would you come? And prayer team, would you prepare yourselves? Everybody else, please stand with me this morning. <clears throat> I said before that uh, I think we're going in the right direction as a church, but I feel like there's still plenty room for growth as we move forward as a church. Here's the vision that I see. I see there's going to come a time where prayer services are the most packed services. Where there's going to be people who they don't want to come here and, and hear our worship team or hear me preach, but they say, oh, it's the way praying, we got to go. 
Those people hear from God and the presence of God is in that place. I see a time where God's going to be using all kinds of people here to pray for others and healing's going to take place. Salvations are going to take place. Because people have been doing in the quiet and in the secret place good, good business with God. And then when we gather corporately, there's just going to be a time of celebration. I see us worshiping during times of worship, really exalting God for who he is and not really lifting ourselves up, drawing attention to ourselves. I see a time of repentance where we're just broken before God. We should, we, we should have tears. If you've gone through 2018 and you haven't been broken at the altar yet, go pray. Amen. Go worship. Be broken before the Lord. I see the culture being one where people can't wait to, to join the prayer ministry. People can't wait to get to the prayer course. I see it's coming as men and women who have died to the law, right? Where we don't feel uh, overwhelmed by all the rules and regulations of the scripture, where we know that we've been married to Christ, where we're free. We have somebody who loves us and protects us. And we come boldly to the throne of grace like, Lord, we haven't made it to the altar call, but people are just coming to the altar like, that's the throne of mercy. That's the throne of grace. I got to go. I don't have time to wait for the altar call. I'm going. So bow your heads with me. Before we pray, we're going to open up for communion. If you come to the altar this morning, we're going to have some of those folks who have begun to learn these things and see these things and pursue these things, just pray with you this morning. Start that process for you. But first and foremost, we want to pray for salvations. The last verse, when Jesus is done talking about prayer and how to pray and what to do and what not to do, in Matthew 6, verse 14, he says, if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. He says, all this starts with forgiveness. You've got to repent and be forgiven, but you also have to be a person who will forgive others. So heads bowed, eyes closed, seeking God this morning. Between you and the Lord, if you're here and you've never been forgiven of your sins and you know you're harboring unforgiveness in your heart, if you want this moment to be the moment where you just set everybody free in your life, think about the people who have hurt you. Think about the people who have damaged you. Think about the people who have intentionally made your life worse. And this morning, if you could say, listen, I'll let all of them go free, but God, will you let me go free? Free from my sin, free from my depression, free from my addiction, free from death, free from fear of dying in sin and going to hell. I want to be set all the way free. I want to know that I'm saved. I want to become a child of God this morning. Lord, will you forgive me and give me the strength to forgive others? If that's you this morning, you want to be set free and you want to set some others free, would you raise your hand? Amen. I see you, sis. I see you, brother. Anybody else this morning? Thank you, God. Man, there's so much liber uh, liberality in just setting people free. Hallelujah, Lord. Hallelujah, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Set your son free. Set your daughter free, Lord God. Forgive them, Lord. We acknowledge this morning as we've come to worship you, Lord. We've come to seek you through your word, Lord God. Right now, you're seeing repentance, Lord. 
your son, your daughter saying, forgive me. Forgive me. Set me free. Take these chains off of me. Remove this burden from my back and from my heart and from my mind. Lord, I pray that you would do those things for them. Confirm their salvation, Lord. Set them all the way free. Lord, those that they've been holding in prison as well, Lord, the things that have been done to them, Lord, the way that they've been treated, the way that they've been undervalued and underappreciated, Lord God, help them to just release those people. Free and clear, Lord. No more debt. Just to let them go on with their lives, Lord. Have your way, Jesus. For the rest of us who are here this morning, as we open the altars, here's the prayer that you would develop a model of prayer that Jesus has given you, that you would enter into worship on a daily basis, that you would repent on a daily basis, that you would make your request, but it wouldn't be heavy in the area of request. Just having a prayer life that is really focused and centered on communion with God. There will be times in your life where you have prayers of desperation. We live in a broken world. These people that had uh, armed gunmen surround their bus when they've got their wives and husbands and children, they were praying prayers of desperation. Sometimes God answers with deliverance and sometimes God answers with endure until the end. You'll have prayers of desire where there's something you really want, somewhere you want to go, something you want to do, and all that is great. But I want to pray this morning for the default mode of your prayers where it's just about communing with God. As we open this altar, that's what the prayer is for those that would come. That you would have this special time of, of communing with God. We'll have communion and break bread here this morning. But I pray that this would be uh, catapult you into just a deeper relationship with him. Where you don't come with an agenda, you just come hoping to meet with him. Lord, have your way this morning over your sons and over your daughters, Lord. As we come, ask that you would meet us, Lord. Bless the hands of your prayer ministry here in this place, Lord God. Bless the hands and the mouths of our worship team, Lord God. We want to lift you up. I ask that you would meet with people, that they would feel your presence here in this place this morning, God. As we remember your body broken for us and your blood spilled for us, Lord encounter us. Let us encounter you, Lord. We come boldly to the throne of grace. We come uh, desiring to obtain mercy, Lord God, this morning. And just be reminded how real and how alive you are. Have your way in Jesus' name. Amen. I was nowhere you came to my rescue From the grave I've been raised When I needed a savior to save me, Jesus, you made a way. The Way would love you to visit our church at 451 West Lambert Road, Suite 204 in the city of Brea. Our service times are Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. and Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. For more information, please visit our website at www.thewaybrea.com or you can download our church app by visiting your app store and searching The Way Brea. Be blessed.